With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are in spring practice. Dudes are earning numbers. They are releasing videos, just, you know, very interesting videos to see what they're doing. Catching balls, lifting weights, hitting each other. Nothing to really learn about, but hey, spring football's in the air, and we're getting ever closer to Black and Gold Day, which means we are getting ever closer to the start of the season. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It is great to see that Missouri are getting closer and closer to a game, which will, of course, tell us absolutely nothing about the team. And I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. Good. I'm looking forward to it. It's always fun to be able to see your guys practice. And, you know, again, kind of like we talked about the last show, it's all potential at this point. So you can you can talk yourself into anything that you want and you can't be wrong, which is probably the best place to operate when it comes to college football. Uh, but we do have some actual activity happening, and that's why we're here. We're going to talk about what's going on with the team and what's going on with guys who aren't on the team. And let's really dive into that one first. We talked about the quarterback situation a couple weeks ago, and I kind of ripped up Jaden Daniels for about three minutes, and then we released the show. And then we all kind of assumed he was going to be our next quarterback, so I rescinded my comments. And then homeboy signed with LSU. So my comments are still valid. Um, but I think BK, you and I kind of ended up on different sides of the analysis spectrum here of Jaden Daniels. You were definitely like, Hey, this is a good thing. I'm like, I'm not totally sure. But the point is, is that this staff is looking for a quarterback kind of publicly and they have yet to get one. Uh, you wrote a piece on rock M today, uh, about that. 
But what was your thought of the Jaden Daniels odyssey? And uh, where does the team go from here? Yeah, that coaches basically tell you what they want with their actions, not their words. Never listen to what coaches tell you. They're lying to you more often than not. And I know that's a strange thing to say for somebody that's in the media. And I try to relay what the team is trying to do. But I try to do so based on their actions. And what Missouri's actions have said this offseason is that they desperately would like to upgrade the quarterback position. And that has nothing to do with what I think of Brady Cook or Tyler Macon or Sam Horn. It doesn't matter, frankly, what I think of those three. It matters what the coaching staff thinks of three. And they might be wrong in their assessment. That's also something that is reasonable to consider in this situation about any of those three, maybe all of them. But what they've done this offseason is they went out there and kind of publicly tried to acquire Spencer Rattler via the portal. He ended up going to South Carolina. Then it became a public and also private in some ways because of the the visit uh, pursuit of Jaden Daniels. And they clearly wanted to get him on campus. He ends up at LSU now. And I think my overall thought on this is just he better be right. Like Eli Drinkwitz needs to get the quarterback position right. We talk about a million different things that Gary Pinkle did well in his time as the head coach at Missouri. The number one thing that he did well was he always had a plan at quarterback. Always. From the very beginning, you go from Brad Smith to Chase Daniel to Blaine Gabbard, and then you continued into the Matty Mock, James Franklin, and Drew Locke situation. Like He always had a succession plan, and it was always at a minimum a solid quarterback at the college level. Missouri hasn't had that basically since Drew Locke. There has been no succession plan Mm. there. And when you don't Mm. have that plan, when you don't have the next guy ready to go, that's at least a above average college quarterback, things get really tough. You look at Clemson, for example, right? They've done everything right when it comes to their recruiting plan. They got the quarterback position wrong. And guess what happened this year? It didn't go well. Mm. When you don't have the quarterback, it does not matter what else you have because everything else can be perfect and you're not going to win at a high enough level. And the margin for error, by the way, at Clemson, heck of a lot different than the margin for error at a place like Missouri because their talent is just so much better around that quarterback position. So I say all of that to say this. I don't know what the future holds for Brady Cook, Tyler Macon, or Sam Horn. I just don't know. I don't think anybody honestly does. But Missouri's coaching staff has clearly been looking for some kind of an upgrade going into next year from those guys. And the upgrades that they've been looking at are uncertainties in and of themselves. Jaden Daniels has high upside, Mm -hmm. but it's not as if he was lighting the world on fire at Arizona State. One good year and a couple of Mm -hmm. questionable years. You look at what they were looking at with Spencer Rattler. He was the Heisman favorite coming into the season and was benched because he was terrible. So when you're Mm -hmm. looking at the players that Missouri was looking at, It does make me wonder, okay, what is their confidence level right now in Brady Cook and Tyler Macon? It doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that they're excited about those two players. So I think it's fair to have a little bit of questions about A, what their evaluation is of those guys, and B, whether Mm -hmm. or not they have the right quarterback currently on the roster. And if they don't, whether it's Brady Cook or Tyler Macon or Sam Horn or somebody that's not currently on the roster that's starting, They've got to get this right. And see, do they know how to evaluate quarterbacks effectively? <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a silly question because they've been sure. coaches for such a long time. And especially Drinkwitz and Hamden, like they've they've been doing this for a long time. They know what they're doing, but it's like, do you know what you're even looking for? 
do you know what you want? I, you know, it's, it's a fair question. You know, I, again, we, we know we talked about Sean Robinson starting part of that was because Basilek was injured um, and he took over three games in, but then you stuck with Basilek when it just really felt like he was not the answer. And you saw Brady Cook, you know, do really well, granted against Army, but he did really well. And you're like, oh, how, 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 how does this guy not see more playing time? How do we not get him out there? So oh, there's a lot of things to question. Um, the thing with the transfer portal quarterbacks is that transfer or quarterbacks are transferring because they're not playing. And if they're not playing, it's because they can't beat the guy in front of them. And so no matter what quarterback you get out of the transfer portal, it's going to be a scratch and dent sale. Okay. This is not going to be. You know, you're not going to pluck, a, oh, I don't know, you're not going to pluck a, a Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, okay? You're not going to get, uh, well, I guess I guess you could get Justin Fields if you're Ohio State, but like that is because Georgia wasn't using him correctly. But the point is, you're not going to get, you know, a, a program-defining quarterback. And I said on Twitter when this when, when Jaden Daniels committed to LSU, I said this wasn't a bad thing in my mind. Um, because I didn't think he was, you know, he was going to be worth the drama that you bring into the locker room via either, you know, teammate interactions or just quarterback management. I didn't think it was worth it. I wouldn't want to lose making our cook because Daniel uh, Daniels came in. And I know there were people on Twitter who kind of asked me and just said, do you think that the quarterbacks they have on the roster are enough to get this team over the hump? And I mean, I don't know how you define the hump. But I'm good with the three that we have right now. But again, it's a it's a, it's a third year player in Cook, a second year player in Macon, and a freshman who hurt himself and is not currently playing baseball, and that is why he's not on campus and won't be on campus until July. So yeah, it's a little it's precarious. I'm not saying it's perfect. What I am saying is that if you have a third year player who's in his third year in this system, I think that's pretty good. I I would take that a mobile guy in his third year in the system over some, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a head case, you know, with, with diminishing returns. Now we got spring practice. So that's going to be a whole other round of transfers. And I'm sure there's going to be several quarterbacks that hit the market. And I'm sure they could look at some of that. Maybe you get a G five guy who's, who's pretty talented and looking to go somewhere else or a P five cast off. But if you're looking to find a savior through the portal, no, it's not going to happen. So I'm not, I don't know how you manage the quarterback situation. I'm not a football coach, so I'm never going to have to be in that situation. But we've said it before. If you bring in an upperclassman transfer quarterback, you better make sure that he's the answer or you better make sure that you can manage these quarterbacks and their egos. Because if you got a guy who's going to start for two years, then either Cook or Macon or both, they're, they're going to leave. And then you're back into the same position of we have a precarious quarterback position. The other thing is you got to get it right because uh, Luther Burden, he's pretty good. Um, He's expected to be on campus here pretty soon. And I don't know if you know about this, Nate, but this whole transfer portal thing, it's changed things. Excuse me, he's on campus right now. He's, he's there for spring ball. Um, if Missouri is not good at the quarterback position this year and he doesn't see any reason why it's going to get better, I'm not trying to be alarmist here. I, I promise you I'm not. But the way that college football works now, he could transfer after a year. It, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody if Luther Burden looks at this quarterback situation and says to himself, you are costing me money in the NFL mm-hmm. because you can't get me the football and I don't see a clear plan to change that. Well, then he can transfer to Alabama or Ohio State or Oklahoma mm-hmm. or wherever he wants to go after that because he's good enough to do exactly that. He can name the school and call up the coach and say, I'm coming for spring ball. And they would say, okay, we'll see you in January. 
you yep. know, like that that's how good yep. he is. And so the reason why you have to get this right is like it's basically tenfold now. Like, A, it's year three. Eventually, you've got to get your program set and you have to get the most important position in team sports right. Like that's just in general, you need to have that figured out. B, you've got to manage the position correctly, because like you said, if you bring in an upperclassman, the writing is clearly on the wall for both Cook and Macon. They would then know, okay, we're not starting at Mizzou. Maybe we need to look elsewhere and you could lose both of them. And C, you've got receivers that are on campus right now that were big time recruits. And you've got other players that are on campus right now that are big time recruits that you brought in over the last year or two. And if they don't see a clear plan at the most important position on the field, they could decide that it's best for them to go elsewhere. And that is not good business for anybody. So this is a huge, huge, huge deal. And I don't think you can really overstate just how important it is for Drink to get this right, man. Whether that be via the transfer portal Mm -hmm. or picking the right guy coming out of spring ball and then picking the right guy going to fall camp. I said going into spring, I think Brady Cook is the heavy favorite to start as of now, given the roster that you currently have. I still believe that to be true. Mm -hmm. I would be very surprised if Tyler Macon starts next year, at least at the beginning of the season. I would say right now for me, it would be Brady Cook one, Sam Horn two, Tyler Macon three. But I am not putting it past them to go after a transfer quarterback after the spring. I'm with you. I, I I think the odds are in favor of them doing so, in fact. And it's just a matter of if they find somebody that they really like and if somebody really likes yeah. the situation at Mizzou. It's going to be interesting. I mean, there are there are options out there. Um, I know Gavin Hall from Toledo. You had a – okay. Yeah, it's a G5. I understand that's not super sexy or anything like that, but he's in the transfer portal. There's an Ohio State quarterback, J.P. Andrade. You know, he's looking for a place. Uh, you can always take Baylor Romney from BYU, or if that, that's kind of you know, I got a more uh, stoic, statuesque kind of guy once again. A couple of guys from like UCF or San Diego State. So like, there are a lot of G fives out there who don't have a home. Uh, I think JT Daniels is still out on the market. So I mean, there are quarterbacks out there right now who you can pick up and try and, and add to your team. Um, or you could wait after spring practice and try and do it, but then you're right in the situation where they didn't get spring practice, just like Sam Horn, and now they're coming in in the fall. So it, the longer this goes on, and again, you know, black and gold games on the 15th. 15th? 17th. Whatever. Not this Saturday, but the next one. How about that? Um, so, like, it, we're not, we don't have a ton of time here if you want to get spring ball under your belt. Uh, and it kind of seems like they're not going to be really getting anybody until afterwards. So I don't know. Oh yeah. You can, you can write that in stone. They're not bringing anybody in until so, the summer. Like, okay. That's where we're at. Um, so it, it, I'm not too worried about that though, to, to be honest, like that, that's not something that concerns me. I just want to make sure they get it right. Like they just got to have the right guy. If that means getting him in, in the summer, that that's fine. Like, you look at what Oklahoma did last year, their starting quarterback. It's not as if he got a ton of sure. uh, play going into it. I think it was, this is just totally narrative, but um, you look back at Russell Wilson when he went to Wisconsin, he had like three weeks yeah. to learn the playbook and yeah. he figured it out and he ended up being really good for him there. And now he's mm-hmm. uh, Denver Bronco <laughs> just to throw that name out there. But like, I- I'm not too worried about the, the timing of it. I- I'm more worried about, you you cannot right. get it wrong. You, yeah. you just can't. You're running out of runway here because 
once you get into year four, the Heat's going to start being on Drinkwitz mm. to win. It's not there yet. I think this is still one of those transition years where if they went seven and five, I think people would be like, okay, you can start, you can kind of see where, what the, the upward trajectory is for the program. But you get into your four, you get into your five, and you're still going seven and five, six and six, especially when the SEC is going to be expanding and you've got a tougher schedule and it's not as easy to go eight and four, nine and three. Man, it, it's going to start getting a little tougher. The, the talk around the coaching staff is going to change a little bit. And that's just the reality of what it is to be a college football yeah, coach in tough. 2022. But this is why he gets paid the big bucks and he's an offensive guy. And you know, I can sit here and question it based off of two years of data and I could be wrong. I'm there. I'm, I guarantee I could be wrong, but we haven't seen it yet. So it's just kind of out there. And then the other aspect of this is that, I, you know, we'd all love to hear what Brady cook and Tyler Macon think of this situation. Uh, but as Eli Drinkwitz playfully reminded us in his most recent press conference, he's not going to let the media talk to them. So it is kind of interesting that, you know, especially in, in college football, you know, these kids are, are coached to say exactly what the ADs, you know, the SIDs and the coaches want them to say. Very vanilla, very plain. Very rarely do you get insight on the level that the, the average fan is looking for or even God, the media media wants. But it is interesting how media access is doled out, uh, who they send out to talk and who they allow uh, reporters to, to talk to. Used to be back in the day, you know, rewind the clock to, to when I was in college, 2005, 2009. You could almost, you know, media members could pull up and talk to anybody, get a good story out of a walk on, get a good story out of the, you know, the backup tackle. Uh, but modern game, that's just not the case. You know, we're all worried about bulletin board material um, or, or releasing the, you know, the secret the secret codes to, to college football success uh, for the week. So you don't get a lot of access and the quarterbacks don't seem to be available to talk to the media all that often. It kind of feels like, you know, in the modern game, especially if you're building something, it would be in your best interest to have a lot of access and let the players talk. And to his credit, I think Eli Drinkwitz has done a pretty good job of letting a couple of players talk. And of course with NIL, you get a couple more that will, We'll talk if they get paid, which is, I think, great. Um, but how do you feel about kind of like a more restricted media access, especially in a program that's trying to build something and kind of bring the fan base back? Uh, kind of feel like they should have a little bit more access, don't you think? So this is one of those things that actually didn't bother me. When I, when I saw the, I'll be full, like full disclosure here. When I saw the comments on Twitter, I was like, oh, that really drinklets or really like that? That's the way you're going to play this. And then I went back and I watched it and I saw the way that the interaction kind of went. And I was like, okay, he's, this is, this is Drinkwitz going full Drinkwitz. He's, he's being the character in front of the camera <laughs> that we all know that he can be. Um, it, it really, honestly, like, would I prefer the players to be able to go talk to the media? Of course I would. Yes. A hundred percent. It's better for us. It's better for fans. I think that that is the best way to handle this. That being said, do I think it really matters in spring ball if the two guys that are battling it out for quarterback talk to the media? Honestly, no. I, I don't think you're going to learn. Like, both of those guys are so coached up at this point in terms of what they're saying publicly. I don't think you're actually going to learn sure. anything from either of them. There are fair, very few guys on any college football team that you can go to. And this is just the honest truth. Because of the way that college football is and because of the way that the power structure exists. There are very few players that will actually give you a good quote. The only one, honestly, that I've seen, or one of the few on this team that stands out to me, 
um, when you're looking at, okay, I'm going into the locker room. I need to get a good quote. Who am I going to talk to? Yeah. Bear Bannister. He, he's the guy that will actually kind of give you stuff. And you know why he's the guy that'll give you stuff? Because he is so unbelievably comfortable with his spot on this roster. <laughs> like, he is a graduate kid at this point. He has one year left. He knows the end of the road is coming. And he knows he has an, He knows exactly what his role is going to be this year. Mm-hmm. Nothing more, nothing less. He knows exactly what it's going to be. Hey, Barrett, it's third and six. Can you please catch an in-breaking route? Hey, Barrett, it's third and four. Can you please catch a quick out for me? Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's his role. And he knows it. And he's really good in that role. So when he's asked these questions, he can be kind of honest because it's not like he's going to get punished. Meanwhile, if you're one of these quarterbacks that's battling for a roster spot or battling for the starting position, you say something that's out of line. I'm not saying that's going to lose you the job, but that's the kind of thing that can go punished in a a college football program. So it doesn't really bother me a lot, honestly. I don't think it changes a whole lot for me. You wouldn't get much. I agree. But... um especially from the quarterback position, you know, anyone who talks to the media are going to be the ones that the coaching staff believes trust the most to say the right thing. So I get it. And, and really there's no going to be like, what are you looking for? Hey, I'm pissed that they're looking for a new quarterback. Well, that's not going to do you any good. Like that. Yeah. Your, your honest answer is not going to be, do you any good. I get that. Uh, but I, I do wish that there's, you know, more stories, more stories. That's all. I just want, I want to like this team. I want to know the, the, the makeup of this team and, you know, you're a little limited, and I understand. You know that's just kind of the nature of the game. But I always found that kind of silly that we protect these these players as if they're you know the nuclear launch codes or something like that. But oh well, um, we do have some interesting. For what it's worth, I do agree with that. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, we do have some interesting developments because again, spring ball is not going to teach you a whole lot, but it does give you a little bit of morsels, little morsels here and there that you can chew and ponder over and overanalyze like I do uh, to your heart's content. And with the Drinkwitz regime, one of those morsels is earning numbers, earning the, the number on your Jersey, something that uh, newcomers have to have to uh, obtain with good, uh, good practicing, uh, good performance. Uh, that's going to be for transfers and for freshmen. Well, Luther Burden earned his number like in the second practice. Uh, he's number three. To the surprise of no one, Tyron Hopper, uh, the the four-star linebacker transfer out of Florida, earned his number like four days in. He's number eight. I think eight's way, just a better number than 28 anyway, so that's good. And then you get to the others. And right now we got Nathaniel Pete, who's rocking number eight as well. So Tyron Hopper, eight on defense. Nate Pete is eight on offense. Drayden Norwood, the Texas Mm A&M transfer. The cornerback. Uh, that one matters. That one caught my eye. That's a big one. He's number 19. Uh, Armand Mimbu out of Lee Summit. Uh, number 79 here in that over the weekend. And then this was an interesting one. Cody Schrader, number 20, the walk-on uh, transferred from Truman State, who led all of college football last year in rushing yards, <clears throat> earned his number 20. And, of course, Eli Drinkwitz said in his most recent uh, presser that he, quote, absolutely uh, has a chance to see playing time in the running back stable for this year. So BK, we all kind of figured Burden and Hopper would earn those pretty quickly. Norwood stands out. Mimbu's a good story. Schrader is interesting. Which one of those do you want to pick apart first? Let's do Schrader because I actually was surprised by this one. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but he's a guy that was interesting when he decided to commit to Mizzou because you look at the numbers and it's like, damn, 
okay, um, this is interesting. You look at the competition, though, and you say to yourself, all right, this is just going to be another one of those stories where maybe by the end of his time at Mizzou, he's a little bit like a third string running back, maybe at best, and you just kind of move on, and it was an afterthought, right? When I saw the comments from Drinkwitz, and then I saw, I think it was Connor Wood who said Mm -hmm. that Connor Wood gets to the practice or gets to the lifting and the workouts 30 to 45 minutes beforehand just to make sure that he's like in the right place mentally and physically, right? And he said the one guy that's been getting there before him in this time is Schrader. It's like, okay. So you know that you've got a guy that mentally is in in a good situation here. All right, I'm here for it. And then you look at the guys that are in front of him. I I definitely expect Pete to be the starter this year. You would think. I think Elijah <laughs> Young. I, I think Elijah Young's going to be their change of pace guy. Okay. I think if it's like third or fourth and one, Michael Cox is the guy that you put into the game to be able to convert that for Agree. you. If you do end up going three deep this year, would it surprise you at all if Schrader is that third guy though? Because at this point, I, I'm kind of starting to wonder if maybe he would be that third guy. So here's here is here's what I'm going to say about it, and I I really don't mean any disrespect by this. So you know I'm saying something really stupid if I have to say that first. But if you go out and you get Nate Pete to transfer from Stanford, and you get blue chipper Tavoris Jones to commit out of El Paso, and you still got Taj Butts, and you still got B.J. Harris, and you still got Michael Cox. You still got Elijah Young. Some of these guys in their third year on campus. And your three running backs are Pete, Young, and Schrader. <laughs> like, it's good. You wanted to play the best guy, but wow, you brought in a lot of talent. And the walk-on from Lutheran South is going to be <laughs> going to be your guy? Like, it, it seems weird. It seems really, really weird. But at the same time, you bring all these kids on for a reason. And leading all of college football, all of it, in rushing, even if it's at Truman State, shout out Greg Nesbitt, my high school football coach, who's the coach there right now. Even if he, you know, even if it is against the competition, he still did it. And if he's actually going to be pushing for playing time, good for him. You got a lot of stars in that running back room right now that are going to be looking at him and going, really? But Elijah Young couldn't crack it last year. BJ Harris couldn't crack it last year. Michael Cox is situational. Taj Butts didn't even earn his number when the season started. So, like, sure. Why not? Um, he's built like Dawson Downing. Kind of short, kind of, kind of, kind of stocky. Um, apparently he's got he's the same size basically as BJ Harris and Taj Butts. Like they're they're all the same size. Almost perfect to BJ Harris, yeah. BJ Harris is 5'9, 214, Traders 5'9, 217. So um, yeah, he's he's got the right type that that Eli Drinkwitz likes. Apparently hits the hole really hard and very quickly. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I would just be very surprised because there's a lot of talent here. And obviously Schrader is talented too, but that's not what you expected when you're bringing in the type of recruiting classes that you're bringing in. Yeah. I just, I don't care about that. Like I, I at this point, and I think this is one place like we, we've talked about this before. I don't care what you were when you were a, a high school senior. If you're, if you're not good enough to beat out this year, Cody Schrader, then Cody Schrader deserves to play. Absolutely. Like he, he, he'll, he'll be on the field ahead of you. Nathaniel Pete is the best running back on the team based on what they've done so far in college. Mm-hmm. He is. Like there's, there's no doubt in my mind he should not only be the lead back this year, he should be the lead back by a sizable margin. Mm-hmm. I think Elijah Young is the second best guy based on what we've seen so far in college 
with what they've done. He, he hasn't shown you a ton, but when he's gotten in there, he's had explosive moments. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's ever a lead running back because he's 185 pounds. Yeah. He's just really small. Yeah. We always talked about what the size was for um, Tyler Beatty. Tyler Beatty was like 215, 220. I think there were times when he was running at like 230 this year, to be honest with you. Um, Elijah Young is just, he's really slight. He's almost like slot receiver size. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think he's going to be a late running back. And then BJ Harris and Taj Butts, like we just haven't really seen much out of them. So if Cody Schrader beats those guys out and they have to wait until their red shirt sophomore years to be able to be contributors, like, okay, that's fine. I, I don't have an issue with that. And if those guys end up transferring, you've got another guy coming in next year or this upcoming year that's a four-star. So you just replenish that talent. I don't have an issue with it whatsoever. The best guy for me, that guy's going to win this job. Yeah, that's what you always want. I would just be shocked, you know, because they've done pretty well at recruiting running backs. Uh, sure. And, you know, hey, you recruited this guy, too. You know, I, I, I'm trying not to be dismissive about this process. You know, you kind of overlook walk-ons just by nature. But, like, this is this is a big deal to add. And, you know, we have seen staffs before overhype dudes and then not deliver. And... I think the only guy I can think of that Drinkwitz has done is Kiki Chisholm. And, like, Kiki was good. Um, but, like, if the, yeah, if this is the best guy, then play him. Let him go. Um, again, you don't lead the nation, all of college football and rushing, by accident. So, uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting. And, and and so I'm glad he's got his number. The first, uh, you know, he's, he's he's got the number 20. That's the Henry Josie number, so that's pretty cool. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh it's, it's something to monitor because, you know, Michael Cox showed out last spring game and then he played, a you know, a, a noticeable role uh, last year. So, you know, walk-ons have done it before and this could be the next one. So we'll see. What did you think of uh, uh, Armand Mimbu getting 79? He's also been talked about multiple times by multiple people. And this is something that I, I think if you're a fan and you're reading any of the coverage coming from spring ball, there's not a ton you can glean from it. But the one thing that you can is when you see a coach or another player um, especially in the interviews, if you're actually watching the specific interviews, if they bring up somebody unprompted, that's when you can take notice of it. When there's a leading question where they are asked specifically about mm-hmm. somebody, I can basically tell you what they're going to say before they say it, because it, it's always the same stuff. Like when they're asked about <laughs> Luther Bird in this offseason or this spring, for example, anybody that is asked is going to talk about how he's been really impressive. He's not coming in with any sort of ego. He asks a lot of questions like he's doing all the right things. Okay, cool. Glad we learned that. Now let's move on. Um, But when you've heard anything about uh, Mimbu so far this offseason, it's been pretty impressive because guys are bringing him up and they're like, hey, you know, he's he's coming along pretty well. He's going to be a really good player, but he's very green. And that's the thing that you hear a lot so far through these quotes is he's going to be really good. He's clearly very talented. He needs to continue learning. I think he's going to be, if I just had to project, I think he's going to be what I thought EJ Ndoma Ogar was going to be. I thought EJ Ndoma Ogar could be a guy that was a really high upside player that just clearly didn't fit in at Oklahoma. It looks like it's probably not going to work here at Mizzou either. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was just overrated. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player, but it, it means that maybe he just wasn't a stud like he was thought to be coming out as a recruit. When you look at what you've got now with Mimbu, he he might be a really good player for you. And it might take a little bit. Maybe it's going to be two or three years before you realize that that's okay on the O-line. You don't have to show out right away. The fact that he was one of the first players, though, to get his uh, his number is is meaningful in my mind. 
I mean, again, the interior line, particularly the guards, are, are very, very deep with just options. You know, not even just off the top of my head, Connor Woods, Xavier Delgado, Luke Griffin, EJ Doma Ogar, Tristan Wilson, Armand Mimbu, Dylan Spencer. You know, you can even add uh, Curtis Piegler in there. Like, there's there's a lot of options. Not all of them are re- realistic options, but it's a really deep position group. And the fact that he's standing out is a big deal. I think Connor Wood was the one that was talking about him today, saying like, hey, yeah, he's got really good feet. His handwork is excellent. Yeah, he, he's got some freshman tendencies, but like, yeah, that's that, that's big. And, you know, Connor Wood, he, he jumped from FCS to <clears throat> to the SEC. So he's got a lot of experience of making a transition. So he knows kind of what he's looking for. And the fact that he can identify that, you know, Mr. Mambu is, is doing a lot of things well uh, in the transition from high school to the SEC is good. Um, again, there's no pressure for Armand to, to, to play this year, but like, if he can provide out, if he can provide snaps, like that's, that's excellent. Um, we'll see how everything shakes out and whether he's available to avoid a red shirt. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, he's the, he's the first of the, uh, freshman offensive lineman to earn a number and, uh, that's certainly not by accident. So very cool to see. And then we get to the, really the impact one, (laughs) Drayden Norwood getting a 19. I mean, you lose your starting corners. And there's a lot of guys to pick from and you could pencil in, you know, Ennis Rakestraw or DJ Jackson. But the fact that the redshirt freshman from Texas A&M, who has only played cornerback for a couple of snaps, has earned his number and has earned respect already. That that's a big damn deal. I, I hope that this means that he's the one that's showing out because we talked a couple of weeks ago. This is a very light secondary right now from a suit. They don't have a whole lot of veterans that are out there because they're dealing with so many different injuries and then uh, an arrest as well. So you've got guys that are filtering in through that spot that have not really seen a whole lot of playing time in the past. If you've got a guy right now that has basically had one year of experience at the position and he's showing out to the point where he's earning his number quickly and maybe is earning playing time quickly. Oh, baby, sign me up for that. I'm here for it. I said in my uh, my piece about him (laughs) when I did my recruiting reset for Rock of Nation, he's a guy that's a lottery ticket. You take a chance on him because the talent is clearly there. And if by year three, you're getting something out of him, you feel really good about it. And that's a win. If he's going to be a guy Mm -hmm. that can maybe contribute, even if it's in a special teams level this year, and by year two, he's a guy that can get onto the field. That is a massive win for Mizzou and a guy that they basically got as a scratch off in the, in the transfer portal. Here, here are your, your cornerback room right now. You got Chris Abrams, Dre. Who is going to be your starting nickel? You've got, let's see here, Snoop Reeves, Daquan Reeves, Dalen Carnell, Davian Sistrunk, all redshirt freshmen. DJ Jackson, who avoided the redshirt and is currently a sophomore. You've got uh, Ennis Rakestraw, who will be a redshirt sophomore. And then you got Drayden Norwood. Notice that there's no one that's a junior or older in this group. Uh, they're all. Did you mention Marcus Scott? Yeah, Marcus as well? Scott, the freshman coming in, freshman. he'll be on campus uh, this fall. Uh, so yeah, your your depth is all children, just tiny little children who have started playing the game at the college level, uh, and then in his rake straw. Uh, so I mean, you got a lot to pick from, and they got a lot of playing time ahead of them, but there's not a lot of experience. DJ Jackson stepped up. Uh, towards the end of the season and did admirably well. In fact, he, I think he was the second, uh, he had the second most passes defense on the team over the eight games that he played. So 
I thought he played pretty well, other than when he was going up against Traylon I mean, Burks, and man, you know, everybody got beat by Traylon yeah, Burks. Yeah, Traylon Burks <laughs> tends to make you look really freaking stupid. Um, so yeah, it's we'll, we'll see, but like it's it's a lot of youth, but there's a lot of them, and you can you can kind of find the ones that are going to stick, or you can rotate them out. Like who the hell knows? But the fact that Drayden Norwood uh, has earned his number and at least earned the eye of the staff is is a good start because, like I said, you could say you know Rakestraw and Jackson are your starters. The fact that you have a third option, sorry, your starters on the outside, Chris Abrams train is going to be your starting nickel. The fact that you have another option that you could throw out there, uh, seemingly based off of spring practice alone, which I understand the danger there, but that is reassuring, uh, especially as we go through the summer and then we get into fall practice because injuries happen, things happen, and it's good to have a lot of options. Um, so yeah, it's it's been interesting to see how these numbers get doled out. They don't always uh, put them up on the website. They don't always report them, but I always got my eye out for this, and I know the the, the beat writers are as well. Um, and we'll see if any more numbers are earned uh, before we get through the the black and gold game. So stay tuned there. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about the secondary? Because I know you mentioned you mentioned that it's just really beat up. Is there any other aspect of the secondary like you want to talk about safeties or cornerback matchups? That's probably the biggest thing. Like, it's just the fact that there's not a whole lot of guys that are available right now. I'm very interested to see how this thing shakes out. Like, when they do get to the spring game, and I know it's, God, it is so neutered at this point that it's almost even hard to get anything out of it. But the only thing that you can sometimes get is you can figure out who's who's subbing in with which groups. So you can see who's like, okay, this guy is with the first unit. This guy is with the second unit. This guy was with the second unit, but he's filtering in with the first unit. You can have a pretty good concept of like where they stand in the pecking order. That's the biggest thing that I'm going to be curious about at the end of spring ball is which of these freshmen or sophomores were able to make their way into the mix. Like, did Dalen Carnell do enough in spring ball to be able to be like the number four corner? Who's that guy? That That's what I'm curious about coming out of this. And then at safety, like, what does that rotation look like? Because you've got JC Carlisle. We all know he's going to be a starter. Who's going to be with him coming out of spring ball with Martez Manuel kind of figuring out his way through this Tommy John surgery? I think that's worthy of um, looking into as well. So those those are the biggest things that I'm curious about. Um, am, am I wrong on this, by the way? Has, has Joseph Charleston earned his number yet? Uh, not to my knowledge. Is he listed on the website? No, no, he's not. But if he's if he hasn't earned his number, that that's one that I find interesting. Um, I'll just I'll say that because he's I would imagine I haven't been out there, but I would think he's probably lining up as the number one safety. And if your number one safety has not had his number yet and <laughs> we're 10 days away from the black and gold game, uh, that's that's interesting. It's worth monitoring. I'll agree. Uh, no, he does not have his number. Now, keep in mind. Nate Pete has his number and he is not listed on the website as such. So I also haven't seen anybody from any of the beat writers talk about it. So, so you know, take that for what you will. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's as much about what, what you don't see as it is what you do. That's what I love about this, man. I love it. You just, you know, we're just reading tea leaves all day and trying to do the best mm-hmm. we can to interpret That's all we can yeah. do. So that's the secondary. Let's talk about the O-line. We touched on it a little bit already with Mimbu. But we kind of got some interesting news uh, from the most recent Drinkwitz press conference. Hiron White, your, your starting right tackle all of last year and your projected starting tackle for this year, 
He is out with an injury. Not only is he out with an injury, a lower leg injury for the rest of the spring, they're also anticipating him being out for the rest of the summer, heading into the fall. So that leaves Zeke Powell, the uh, Juco transfer from a couple of years ago, who got almost every single start in 2020. And uh, homegrown product Mitchell Walters out of Melville, um, who is kind of getting their, their starts at right tackle. Uh, you also keep in mind <clears throat> that Connor Wood also got a spot start as a right tackle last year. So uh, there's rest some rotation there. That also means that other people get some opportunities. Drake Jackson, the transfer from Jackson State, who used to be from Missouri and came back. He is getting start, uh, some rotations in at left tackle. Um, so everyone's kind of shuffling around. They're trying to figure out who your best five is, which is always the goal. And then, of course, Ben's, uh, Ben's Polgar and Connor Tolson duking it out at center. So the injury, the way they described it, kind of nonchalantly mis- mentioning that he's going to be gone through basically July uh, and then the fallout from this injury. What are, your, what are your thoughts on this, BK? So it's very interesting to me. Um, I, I don't love it. I'm going to, I'm going to start with this. Don't love the fact that you've got a guy who's going to be out until summer. We don't, again, we should say on the front end, we don't know what this is, but based on the timeline, you can kind of project the kinds of things that it could be right. If it's a leg injury and he's going to be out until at least fall camp. Okay. Well, you're talking about basically a five to six month timeline there. What kinds of things are at least a five to six month timeline? Well, they're, they're not, none of them are good. None of them. And so that, that makes me a little concerned that one of your best offensive players, forget being on the offensive line, just one of your best offensive players is potentially going to be out until fall camp. Don't like seeing that. Uh, I also think offensive line is one of those spots where you need cohesion. Mm-hmm. You need guys that work together. And this is the type of time of the year where when you've got a guy at right guard that's going to be working in there that has not had a ton of experience, regardless of who it's going to be, I would like them to get that experience with Hyron White. And you're not going to see that in spring ball. Now, if Hyron White comes back and he's back at full strength by fall camp, does this matter? No, not a huge deal. But right now, all we've got to work on is what we're watching today. So I don't love the fact that he's out, but it is what it is. Zeke Powell starting there makes sense as a placeholder. I'm very curious to see, and all of this stuff is, it's all interconnected, right? If this, then that. So if you end up getting out of spring ball and Vince Polgar is your starting center, my guess would be they try Connor Tolleson at right guard. They bump him out there because right now he is battling for that center spot, the starting center spot, which I love. This is a great sign for him as a player He's battling at center with Polger, who they brought in to start there. If he loses that job, it's not necessarily a bad thing. He's still a redshirt freshman. That should be the expectation, honestly. He might end up battling out for that right guard spot. And if that happens, then you might see Connor Wood kick out to right tackle. And that ends up being the way that it works out with Zeke Powell being the swing tackle. Again, all of this is with the understanding that Hyron White potentially is out for a, a longer period of time than what they're leading on right now. So they, they do have options. And that's the biggest thing that I wanted to get across here is you, you've got a few different guys that can potentially fit in at center guard and tackle right now. And this is why that depth that they've built up over the last two years is so damn important. Mm-hmm. 
a guy like a Connor Wood who can play guard or tackle, he gives you more flexibility. A guy like uh, Connor Tolleson who can play center or guard, huge. Luke Griffin being a, at a minimum, capable offensive guard that we've seen start in games, huge. Zeke Powell, who they randomly added at the very end of like mm-hmm. fall camp almost, for him to be able to come in and play right away against Alabama and hold up kind of in that game, uh, that was super important. And now to see him as a guy that is like your sixth offensive lineman, it's not a bad guy to have there. So they've got the depth to be able to make up for something like this, but I don't love the fact that they're potentially going to be without a big-time offensive lineman for a significant amount of time. kind of feel like if this staff had had it the way they wanted it, it would be um, Foster on the left, probably Griffin, maybe Delgado at guard, Holgar at center, Wood at guard, White at tackle. That gives you, in order, a uh, redshirt senior, a senior, a redshirt junior, and then two graduates, uh, graduate level class uh, on your line. That is old. That is super freaking old. And I don't know how many uh, teams start a line as old as that, but that's that's a good thing because if you've been playing a lot of ball, then usually pretty you probably have pretty good cohesion with the guys around you. So losing one of those is not super great, but you know injuries happen. You got to adapt, and it's going to be the next man up. Uh, the fact that you have Zeke Powell around probably for the ex- this exact reason is good. Connor Tolleson's you know. Ability to kind of play both ways is good. But even if he can't, like you said, Luke Griffin is right there. Xavier Del- Delgado right there. Both are battle-tested in the SEC. You've got options. You've got lots of options. Even Richard Taylor, the walk-on turn scholarship tackle uh, out of Ellenwood, Georgia. He's getting reps at left tackle. So, like, everyone's pitching in. They got answers. Um, you know, we don't know how it's going to hold up. But like you said, they've been working on this offensive line depth since they've got here. And it's still a work in progress, but you have enough options that have at least a little bit of experience that no, it's not good to lose white, but you're going to lose him after this season's over anyway. And getting a head start in spring and summer might be a good thing, but regardless, you have the depth to, to weather it at least a little bit. Um, so we will see what is happening. Also, Ben's Polgar has also not earned, earned his number. So that's kind of interesting if he's battling out at center. Um, but uh, there's, there's options. Like I said plenty of times before, the strength of this offensive line is its depth. Not super athletic depth, but like a lot of it. And that's gonna, that's being tested right now. And so far, I mean, you got to feel okay with it. We'll see what happens when the games actually fly. But I'm not excited about losing White, but I'm not freaking out as if this entire offensive line is sunk because because he's gone. Does that make sense? No, I think that's the right way to look at it. And... Um, the, the, the reality is kind of like with the quarterback situation, all of this is wait and see college football has become a 12 months a year type of a sport where previously it was, you kind of knew what your roster was going to be at this time of year. If Mizzou goes into the season and they don't have higher and white, like maybe they go to the transfer portal and they look for a guy at the end of spring ball that didn't quite make the cut at an Ohio state or uh, Oklahoma or something like that. And they find a starting offensive tackle that they plucked off of another roster. That That's possible. Um, or maybe Hyron White's fine. And you get to late July and he's like, hey, I, I feel great. I, I'm good to go. And you have a kick-ass offensive line with a bunch of really good depth that was able to develop even further through spring ball. It's also in play. It's just a wait and see right now. And you don't like the fact that you're going to be without one of those guys for a while. But 
um, that's that's where we're at. So we'll see what happens. There's also like kind of another big event that's going to be happening. We got Junior Day coming up. Um, for those of you who who aren't aware, Junior Day is actually it's exactly what it sounds like. They they bring in a bunch of juniors onto the campus uh, to to kind of have the football coaches work with some of these guys one on one. And uh, this is big. I mean, the, 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 the recruiting class for 2023, there's very specific targets that, that this, that the team, the staff is going after. Uh, but you got kind of the, the biggest names as far as Missouri, like the state of Missouri recruits go, are mostly offensive linemen. Caden Green, Logan Reichert. And Mr. Reichert was one who, who tweeted out about Junior Day, which is kind of why this is kind of a, a topic of brief discussion in the Mizzou sphere today. Um, but yeah, you know, BK, we talk about how recruiting is the strength of this staff and how regardless of the on-field product, they have they have typically delivered uh, on the recruiting front. So you know, how big is this junior day specifically and how big is this this 2023 class going to be for this uh, for the Missouri Tigers? So it's, it's interesting because junior day was actually rescheduled. If you remember, it was in like mid-January, if I'm not mistaken, and there was some pretty bad weather. And so they they ended up rescheduling it then, and now you've got it in mid mid March. Which, if we're being totally honest, for the kids that are potentially coming from outside of the state of Missouri, this is probably a great <laughs> thing because instead of being like five, ten, fifteen degrees and snowing and nasty weather outside, uh, they'll at least see the campus when it's somewhat reasonable weather outside potentially, uh, and that that can't hurt. Let's put it that way. But Junior Day is big because this is really kind of, in my opinion, the kickoff to the next year's recruiting cycle. I know that Mizzou already has a couple of kids that are committed in the 2023 class, but I always feel like March to like mid-July-ish, maybe late June is when you really start getting those those early guys that want to jump on board into your recruiting classes. And for Mizzou this year, Man, is this potentially another good good class in the state of Missouri? You mentioned Caden Green. Uh, you mentioned Riker. There's also Miles McVeigh, who's an offensive tackle just across the river over at East St. Louis. If you're looking for offensive linemen, you don't have to go far. You basically just go on I-70 in two hours in either direction from Columbia, and you'll find four or five of them that are ranked among the top 250 recruits in the country this year. So if Missouri could get even if they get two of those three guys that I just mentioned with Green and Reichert and McVeigh, and it seems like McVeigh is the most likely of those three and Reichert probably is second mm-hmm. on that list, man, would that be huge for them? And if they could get one of them to commit early, I think that would help with other guys in this class as well. We've seen sometimes how that can have a little bit of a trickle-down effect. If you get one guy early that's a big-time in-state recruit that has buddies that also want to play with him, uh, that can be a big deal. It's interesting for for this this class in particular because I mean we've all sung the praises of the St. Louis athletic talent. I mean we all we all know about that. What's interesting is that the top three guys in Missouri for 2023 are all on the left side of the state. Jandavian Bradley at Platte City, which is uh, north of Kansas City. Caden Green at Elise Summit. Logan Reichert out of Raytown. I mean, you got, you know, your DeSmet and Cardinal Ritter and, you know, CBC and all those usual uh, represented schools and in, in the top, tw- you know, top 25 for the state, as you usually do. But it kind of seems like the Kansas City uh, 
football machine is kind of starting waking up. And maybe it's just that the recruit Knicks are starting to notice it a little bit better. But um, yeah, it's been interesting that that they're all kind of on the Kansas City side. Um, which I mean, you know, if you got to battle Kansas for a recruiting football, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but you know, it's also Nebraska, it's Iowa, it's Kansas State, it's you know, it's more than just and everything's that. national, and man. It, it really man, is. that's that's the thing that stinks now is yeah. when you've got these kids like Caden Green is getting offers from everywhere. USC, it seems like Iowa's a yeah, yeah, and Iowa's a pretty big deal there. So and man, when, when you're an offensive lineman, if Caden Green decides to go to Iowa, there should not be a single Mizzou fan that questions yeah, that. That's they, smart. They put they put offensive linemen into the league every year. They've got mm-hmm. another one this year. That's going to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's understandable if that's the route that he decides to go. I hope he ends up at Mizzou, but if he goes to Iowa, that's, that's a totally reasonable place for him to go. But yeah, man, you, you look at this class, like there's offensive linemen at the top of it. There's a few defensive linemen that are filtered mm-hmm. throughout. They've already got one of them. That's uh, committed to Mizzou and Jakai uh, Lang. You've got Tyler Gant, who everybody in St. Louis seems to love mm-hmm. at CBC. Also at CBC, you've got Jeremiah Love, who is just a tremendous talent. He's a running back who already has an offer from Alabama. Mm-hmm. That He's a three-star right now. I can't imagine he's going to finish this recruiting cycle as a three-star. Uh, Jaden Doss is a wide receiver that I honestly don't know a ton about, but he's getting a ton of hype. He's out of Ray Peck up in the Kansas City area as well. He's got offers already from basically all the regional schools. He's not as national as a Jeremiah Love is, but he's got Michigan and Michigan State and Nebraska, and he's got Iowa State and Colorado. Like He's got some big-time offers, and he's been to Missouri a few different times. So if they could add a guy like that early in this process, he's 6'1", 200 pounds as a high school receiver. Like That is interesting to me as well. So mm-hmm. I, I say all that to say this. It's an interesting class, and mm-hmm. there's a ton of talent in the state. And for Missouri, this is not something that you can expect every year. So when you've got this kind of talent in a class like this, you got to make some hay with it, man. There's, yeah. what is it, eight different four stars in the state of Missouri this year? That's I mean, crazy. That's, that's wild. Yeah, yeah I, Missouri recruiting seems to be blowing up uh, really since 2017, 16, 17. Uh, the 2018 class was deemed the greatest ever, and then you know last year probably topped that, so... A lot of talent here, man, and and we've always said. I think every Missouri fan has said, you know, just lock down the borders, and you you, you could field a, a championship team. I'm like, yeah, you're never gonna do that. You're never gonna get every single Missouri kid to commit to Missouri. Nor would you want every single Missouri kid to commit to Missouri. But you need to get a handful of the top ones. And so far, Eli Drinkwitz has shown that he's been able to do that. So, um, as far as the offensive linemen go, Green, Riker, and McVeigh, I think two out of three is your stretch goal. Uh, certainly you don't want to expect it, but it's kind of what you're shooting for. Realistically can shoot for um, you, you, one would be great. Uh, Miles McVay is a giant. <laughs> Logan Reichert is too. Um, and especially since, um, you know, his relationship with Georgia's old OC, who's now actually Oregon's head coach. Um, you know, it seems like it, it's going to be a little bit easier uh, to, to get him to stay in Missouri, but we'll see. Uh, you never know. Uh, so Missouri recruiting is, is getting big. And it, so far it seems like we have the staff in place to, to capitalize on that. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, and then finally, let's kind of wrap this thing up here because we are. Oh, yeah, we're doing pretty well. Um, let's talk about coaches. Let's talk about coaching. Dave Matter, Gabe DeArmond, everybody on the Mizzou beat got to talk to you, Al Davis, our new uh, defensive tackles coach. Like a couple of weeks ago. Um there's really interesting quotes. Al Davis is a very smart guy. 
and he downplays it a lot, but he is very cerebral and he's the kind of guy that I like. I like being open about my weaknesses, my, my blind spots, things that I'm not good at. Why? Because it helps me get better. It means that I can reach out to people who can cover those blind spots and help me out. To that point, Al Davis had some really interesting things to say. He mentioned at the conclusion of the season, he talked to Eli Drinkwitz as far as his interview goes for the defensive line spot. And he said, it's like, look, man, like, you know, defensive ends and defensive tackles are two very different positions. You know, to have one guy coach both would be to cheapen the coaching effect for both groups. Uh, He mentioned that defensive tackles kind of no matter what the play is, they just got to hit the dude in front of them and break through. But defensive ends, you know, it depends on the personnel. You know, is it is you know five wide receivers? Okay, well we know we gotta we gotta rush the passer no matter what. Is there a running back? Is there a tight end back there to chip? Okay, that's going to change the way you you attack. So he openly admitted that they needed to get another defensive line coach to come in to make sure that both the rush ins and the tackles and the interior guys were getting proper coaching. Well, guess what? Eli Drinkwitz hires Al Davis and then brings in Kevin Peoples to coach the ends. And then not only that, uh, but Dave Matter kind of unearthed this uh, this gem of a, a comment that I want to share with you here. Um, he says, this is from his tweet uh, from yesterday, uh, quote, this stood out. <clears throat> Defensive linemen last year got defensive, pun intended, when mistakes were picked apart on film in front of the group. So he, Al Davis, Invited them to private film reviews. Quote, I just unarmed them. Hey, come sit in my office. This is just me and you. It gave me a different level of focus. Now, he didn't name names there, but we know who our defensive line coach was for half the season last year. And it kind of feels like Mr. Jethro Franklin was a big fan of public shaming. And I think that sort of coaching flew, you know, was was cool for a while. In football and sports, I think there's a lot of coaches who subscribe to that. I think there's a lot of you who subscribe to it. And that's fine, right? Like, hey, I got to make you better. And if I got to shame you to do it, that's how I'm going to do it. But this is 2022. The kids that you are coaching are living in 2022. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, I'm not saying some 70-year-old coach is always going to be, you know, reductive in how he does things. I'm not going to say, you know, a 20-year-old is always going to be progressive, you know, Look at, look at, uh, you know, look at Urban Meyer. That dude still coaches like it's 1983. You know, look at Mac Brown. He's 70 and he's, he's embracing the spread. He coaches like it's 2022. He treats his players well. The point is, is that Al Davis, who was a grad, grad assistant for half the year, saw that these players were kind of getting shamed in public and nothing was getting fixed, most importantly. Jethro Franklin gets fired. Al Davis gets the interim tag. And he says, we're doing this one-on-one. What happened? Defensive line got better. BK, I'm not saying, you know, correlation causation here, but it's kind of hard to ignore the difference, don't you think? Oh, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind this is a causation. Like, when you play with confidence, you play better, right? That doesn't mean that you're going to be good. Like, there are limitations to every player. There are certain guys who at their peak potential, if they reach it, they can be excellent players. There are other guys who just because of maybe it's physical or mental or whatever limitations that they have within themselves, they're just never going to be great players. And that's fine. As long as you can reach whatever that potential is for yourself, that means your coach did a hell of a job in being able to maximize your possible output. That's what you're trying to do as a coach. And what this showed to me is you've got a guy now in that defensive line room 
who those guys believe in mm-hmm. and they play hard for and they think he has their best interest in mind. And man, that is not always the case. There are times when you can walk into a locker room and you can talk to six different guys and you ask them, hey, you know, like, do you think your coach is putting you in the best position to succeed? The answer to that question is not always yes. Some of those guys will tell you, "Eh, I'm not so sure about that, you know, especially if it's off the record. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a situation where those guys are looking around and they're saying, hey, you know, I I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know how good we really are, but. I'm pretty confident this guy's putting us in the best spot to be able to succeed. That's a win in and of itself. And so when I saw these quotes and I saw, especially what you you mentioned there at the beginning with him being able to take a step back and say to himself, like, yo, I am way overwhelmed when it comes to coaching defensive tackles and defensive ends. That is a moment of honesty and truth that I think is super important. I also love the fact, and I want to give credit to Eli Drinkwitz for hearing that, mm. And then going out and making the move Mm -hmm. to be able to bring in somebody because there are a lot of defensive or a lot of head coaches that would hear their defensive line coach say, hey, I I don't know if I can do this with defensive tackles and defensive ends. And they would say, "Okay, I'll go find somebody who can then. Goodbye. Thanks for coming. You know, so like I I think that's a credit to Drinkwitz for realizing what he had in Al Davis, asking him what he needed to be able to do his job the best way that he could. And then going out and making that change to make sure that it worked. Sometimes that's the kind of thing that you look at from the outside looking in and you say, hmm, lots of turnover on this staff. Mm. Not sure that's a good thing. (laughs) And then internally, the coaches are like, no, this is what they asked for. This is what we needed Mm. on the staff. So I do think that's something worth monitoring there. Uh, But for Davis specifically, I love the way he coaches, man. I I love some of the quotes that we got here. And some of the players, what they said about him, like Darius Robinson, who I think is in for a potentially really big year, said he's a really good energizer, a very good communicator. I learned a lot from him since he took over. I'm grateful to have him because I feel like he has taken my game to another level. I've got better with him in our room. Hell yeah. That's all you need to hear. Hell yeah. Like that, that, that is a win right there. So uh, I'm excited to see what this defensive line room looks like with him. Because we've known for a couple of years now, there's talent in that room. It's just a matter of getting the most out of them. Mm -hmm. And for a couple of years, they didn't. And in the second half of last season, it felt like they really hit on something. And if that was because of Al Al Davis in that room, man, this could be a lot of fun to watch them this year. Yeah. With the talent infusion and the change up of the coaches, I I am very excited about this defensive line. I, I don't think they're going to magically turn into D-line zoo overnight, but man, there's so much talent and I just have so much more faith now uh, in them getting things done. As long as this kind of approach works and, and keeps going, then I, I have all the confidence in the world. So just yet another thing to keep your eye on uh, as we go through spring and we get through everything and, and spring practice winds down and then we sit through the doldrums of summer and talk more about potential what ifs and who, what could possibly happen. So, um, yeah, I got th- I think that's it. BK, any, uh, any parting shots? I don't think so, man. I just, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about. There's a few things that give me cautious optimism mm-hmm. a- as well about some of the depth pieces that you're seeing start to emerge in spring ball. And then of course, as always, just a disclaimer here to put on the end, it is still spring football. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a zero sum game where if you see a guy go for a long play, 
well, was that on the cornerback for not playing well? Was that on the wide receiver for making a great play on the ball in the air? Um, it, we really won't know the answers to any of these questions until we actually get into the uh, football season, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's okay. It's college football gives you the longest windup to all the potential glory that you can possibly think of. But that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can read us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. And you can listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ. Hey!